Welcome to the November edition of Meet the Staff. This is our the Slow Library podcast special monthly podcast episode dedicated to bringing on us members of the Sklo staff family and, hope, and having conversations with them and hopefully giving you a chance to get to know them better, the people who, who maybe you see working behind the desks or people maybe you don't see but who work behind the scenes. And for to, uh, this month's edition, we are welcoming Nathaniel Rasmussen, who has been working at Sklo since 1993. He started out as a page uh, when he was in, in high school. And he's been at Skull ever since. And for the past 18 years, he has been the head of our IT services. Does a lot of great work uh, working with our tech uh, website and, and technology um, platforms at Sklo. And he does a lot of work in the community, helping, helping other organizations. He's very involved with the White Space Project in, in the hopes of bringing Sklo's Wi-Fi services to some of this region's parks, and especially for people maybe who live in areas who have difficulty getting Wi-Fi services. And he was recognized for his work last year by Library Journal. He was a 2018 mover and shaker, so he's getting recognized nationally for the work he does, and we're so uh, thrilled he's part of the Sklo family, Sklo staff. He does um, some amazing work, and we're so uh, you know thrilled that he's, again, part of the Sklo family. So hope you enjoy my conversation with Nathaniel as you get a chance to meet our head of IT services, Nathaniel Rasmussen. Working at Sklo since 1993. Um, Some other type of nah, yeah. uh, Did you think, you know, when you first took a job as a page, did you think this is where I'm going to be for <laughs> for whatever whatever it is? No, 20 you know, I think uh, you know, 15 year old me, I was looking at a a list of options for a summer job that would interest me, and you know. I kind of liked the landscaping job, like, oh, I'll get to be outside and get some exercise. And then I was like, but I do like reading, so maybe this library thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know quite was, what was in store for me at that point. But uh, <clears throat> I think pretty quickly I learned that, that the library is a, is a pretty profound place. Um, and it really resonated with me. Um, starting out, you know, just shelving books and stuff was its own thing, but... Even then, we had the opportunity to serve patrons, um, usually at the front desk or at the children's desk. And uh, you know, I really saw that, that what libraries do in our community is kind of unique and different than most other places. And uh, it just really resonated with me, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been a pretty organic transformation over the years, yeah. but it's definitely something that uh, continues to you know feed my my interest in helping people and in providing, you know, equal access to, to resources and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, and you're sort of at the forefront of one of the biggest changes with the libraries, obviously with digital and yeah. technology, where did your interest in that, in, in tech, yeah. <laughs> um, becoming, you know, tech savvy, where'd that be, uh, come from? It's interesting because I, I feel like nowadays I spend more time complaining about technology <laughs> or worrying about it than I do 
sort of actively pursuing it in its own result. But uh, that said, yeah, you know, as a kid, you know, I was of that generation. There's actually, if anyone wants to look it up, there's a really great article that came out some years ago talking about the Oregon Trail generation. I'm definitely one of those. So if you want to look that up, it's interesting. <laughs> but but basically what it means is you grew up sort of in the pre-digital age, but then, you know, you, you experienced the transition while you were in school. Mm-hmm. And that was that was true for me. Uh, you know, my across-the-street neighbor got an Apple II, and you know, I remember playing games on that. But pretty soon I started inheriting, inheriting the computers from my older brother, who was away at uh, grad school, mm-hmm. and he was, you know, as, when he built his new machine, he'd send me his old one. So, <laughs> so yeah, I've always sort of had an interest in technology, um, and certainly the way that it connects us uh, with the internet, and you know, the, the tremendous power that that that's provided all of us that we tend to f- take for granted mm-hmm. these days. Um, but it was never a, a huge passion. I mean, I played some games, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, it was really at the library that I said, well, you know, this is this could be a game changer. This is like a a leveling field for people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't really matter what your means are, provided you have access. Um, you know, certainly, you know, new worlds are open to you. You mm-hmm. know, whether it's job development, workforce development, or just exploring what interests you. Mm-hmm. Um, we all benefit from that today and probably don't think about it much, but um, yeah, it seemed like it was pretty interesting. And then, you know, you filter that through the lens of what libraries provide people, which is this sort of safe space to do that in um, without judgment or stigma. You can, you can walk in our doors and, and, and explore the world. Um, that's, that's a traditional role, so it seemed like, oh yeah, this is, this is a really interesting dynamic between these two things. So yeah, I started off, um, I, you know, I was a page at the library, but then I started working in other places, and uh, in the children's department we had machines that I started taking responsibilities for, and then when I worked in the adult department, you know, with our internet computers, um, you know, same kind of thing, and yeah, it seemed like this is a pretty interesting place to 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 do work in and uh, you know when the the head of IT position I guess was originally a computer systems administrator and that became available in 2001 mm-hmm. um, I kind of knew that's what I wanted to do so mm-hmm. I had taken some coursework before that but uh, I was happy to accept that position in 01 and have been in there ever since mm-hmm. has I guess what are some of the challenges in bridging you know the traditional library with a tech world have you in the I guess 18 years you've been doing I mean what are some of the challenges you've faced in the position oh wow you know the different challenges for sure I think um, you know there there's the component of all of us that don't like change and so you know you deal with that with staff sometimes or with with library patrons sometimes where well I like the old way better or Mm -hmm. you know I, I can resonate with that. I have a card catalog in my kitchen right now. <laughs> it holds our spices. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I appreciated card yeah, catalogs, yeah. and I'm still kind of sad that we don't have those anymore, I guess. Uh, although, obviously, if you're looking for something, a yeah. search is much better. Yeah, <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, I mean, you know, changing attitudes, um, building trust with people mm-hmm. around technology. A lot of people, are, uh, I think, sense a lot of, or, you know, I sense a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. in people when they're dealing with technology and the fact that it's always new and always changing um, and requiring your attention to adapt to it. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's sort of a soft challenge, but it's probably one of the most pervasive is just helping people feel comfortable exploring their technology and, and not being afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, other mm-hmm. than that, you know, there's budgetary constraints and there's, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's certainly companies that I could name out loud that I <laughs> haven't enjoyed working right, with. Right, right. Uh, but I suppose that's true in any, any, you know, work environment. Yeah. So. yeah I, uh, in meetings I've been in with you, you're a big advocate on privacy and, mm-hmm. and, and people, I think that's probably a big concern with people when they go and put digital and even a library. I mean, I guess can you talk to that effect of how SCLO has tried, has made sure that, uh, patrons privacy is, is paramount, you know, paramount yeah, for their, yeah. yeah for their, well, I think that's a, a very core value for libraries. Um, there's a quote by, uh, I'm not going to be able to pull it out of the air, but there's a quote by Glenn Greenwald who covered the Edward Snowden case and stuff um, where he talks about this need for a private space um, and that, that people can really only grow and explore who they are, who they want to be when they're feeling secure and, and private. And that you know, increasingly, if you look at the digital world especially, uh, you know, there's there's no longer any sense of privacy. There's no longer any expectation of it. But at the same time, I don't think that that we necessarily always understand what that really means to the impact in our lives. Um, and so, yeah, I think you know, libraries have always provided that. Whether it was initially just you know, here's a quiet room where you can get a book off the shelf and, and learn about a topic that maybe you don't want your parents to know you're learning about, or whatever it is. Um, you know, there, there's a logical extension of that. And, and I hope that, um, you know, people tend to, you know, Pew Research has shown repeatedly that people really trust libraries. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope that we can continue to be good stewards of that trust in this respect. Um, and I hope that we can grow what it means to be a library patron to extend into the digital space. So maybe you can come to the library and expect a little bit better protection from those scary things out there, mm-hmm. whether they're hacking or phishing scams or if they're, you know, surveillance by some third party or something like that. Um, I, I hope that we can help educate people on, on both the magnitude of the problems we're facing in that world these days but also what, what practical steps they can do and what sort of tools they can, can access to protect themselves and, and to sort of create or recreate um, that sort of private space that I think is really vital. Yeah. And, um, and before we start recording, uh, while protecting security, you're, to also, you're also, I guess, have ideas maybe of how the library can expand what people do with yeah, yeah, yeah and how that you yeah know. I mean right now you know you can log into your webs our website with your library card number um, and and access you know your account and that sort of stuff. I think the next phase for us that we're looking at is well you know that has to be a little more secure first of all to meet meet current standards and practices. But if we look at that as like well how do we make that the most secure the most private and then what kind of interesting things can we build on that that extend these ideas I'm talking about. So, for instance, I think it would be really interesting if your library 
account or your, you know, when you log in with your library card or whatever it is in the future, um, that 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 access also gets you access to other services and resources in the community. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of economies of scale with technology, so it seems to me that if if we could partner with some of our people that we already partner with or organizations we already partner with, but on a digital level, you know, what if your library card also gets you access to uh, the Discovery Space or the YMCA, and we already uh, loan uh, one-week passes to those things. If you don't know about that, you should check those out. <laughs> but uh, but what if it was more, you know, on a, a one-to-one basis? You have a you know you have a relationship with the library. You also then automatically get a relationship to these other organizations that might improve your health or your knowledge or whatever mm-hmm. in the community. Um, and, you know, that could extend to be your bus pass or it could be the way you pay taxes. I don't know. I, I have all kinds of ideas. Um, and then, you know, identity is what that's called, right? That's just saying, hey, I, I am this person, and it's verified by somebody, and in this case maybe the library. Um, but, you know, maybe that can, can be the, the foundational step on building other sources, um, resources. I get questions all the time. You know, what do I do with my scanned copy of my birth certificate or my, you know, um, closing papers on my house or whatever. Uh, you know, do I trust Google Drive or Dropbox with that information? Uh, I hesitate to say yes, although maybe I do that now. Personally, I don't know. But uh, because, you know, can we trust these companies with this information? I think there's a lot of evidence that maybe we can't. So it would be interesting to think about libraries providing that kind of private space for, for that basic, you know, need that people have. Um, you know, maybe some other things. So, you know, if the internet, you know, we have some sort of national natural disaster, uh, maybe the library can provide, you know, connectivity across the community and stuff, which, you know, gets into the, the project we've been working on with the uh, television white space mm-hmm. and that kind, yeah. of, that kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, that. That was, uh, it's obviously a, a project you've been working on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I got an award for last year, yeah. a mover and a shaker from Library Journal. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to update what's been going on there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's been slow progress. Uh, I, I certainly wish it had been faster. We've run into a lot of challenges. Um, our, our community has a lot of hills. <laughs> and, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, radio frequencies don't, don't necessarily um, like to go through mountains. But, uh, you know, uh, for those of you that are not familiar with the project, uh, what we're trying to do is use um, old radio frequencies that had been, I say radio in a generic sense, mm-hmm. um, that had been used by television, uh, broadcast television companies. Um, but when everything digitized, uh, what, 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, it, it sort of freed up some space in the spectrum there that aren't being used for other things. And uh, thankfully, you know, a lot of times when that happens, those frequencies get scooped up by the big providers like AT&T, Verizon, either to be used or just be prevented, uh, preventing competition. (laughs) Um, But in this case, the FCC said, you know what, maybe there's a way that people can use this to build community networks. Um, So we're using those frequencies and special radios to connect library internet to remote locations in our community. Um, we're looking at parks as our initial locations. Um, so hopefully soon we'll have our first park online. Um, our initial attempt in that location didn't go according to plan. <laughs> so we need a slightly higher antenna, I think. 
Um, but yeah, and then you know, folks will have in library internet access, um, you know, at these parks. Um, we're looking at other places too. I'm working on a grant right now to develop a prototype kit. So these um, sort of internet uh, deployments can be sort of reallocated to places that need them. So, I mean, you hear about the fires in, in California and how devastating they are. One of the things that, um, you know, people talk about, I mean, there's obviously first responders, um, very important, most critical things, you know, when something like that happens. Um, people are already planning and building networks, even in Pennsylvania, to support that work. Um, but then there's this idea of second nets, and that's what the, the project I'm working on um, is involved in. Where, well, you know, okay, you know, all the all the uh, services are, are reestablished. You know, the emergency responders are doing what they need to do. Um, what's the next thing that people need? Usually, they need to get word out that they're okay, that mm -hmm. they're safe. Um, and I mentioned the California wildfires as an example. I know the the big fire last summer uh, took out something like 140 cell towers, mm -hmm. and so people in this huge section of the state didn't have communications for a long period of time. Um, and so what we're looking at is we're working with some folks at Penn State to develop uh, a kit that we could potentially deploy in that scenario in our community. So if a tornado takes out cell towers or something, we can say, well, here, there's internet at this park or at this emergency shelter, and that we can move them around and ideally power them either um, with solar power or maybe a generator or something like that. Yeah. So. That's been been a fun process as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, you've you've been in really heavily involved in the community, not just at, at SCLO, um, yeah. and you you know you've lived here almost your whole life. I, what is it about this community that you love so much, or that you yeah. <laughs> found find such a profound uh, sense of serving it? You know, sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I think I've always seen State College. You know. Yeah, I, I'm sort of a townie, so, so I can get really negative about all the things I don't like. But the reality is that there's tremendous opportunity here. Um, it's, it's a place that's not so big that if you have an idea, you have to get in line behind 100 other people that also have that idea and are trying to do it, or 1,000 or whatever. Um, or you have to know the right people in the bureaucracies of a large city to make any headway. Um, it's, it's small enough that you can say, hey, I have this idea, and then you just go find the people mm -hmm. and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? And they say, you know, they help you out or they don't. Um, so I really like that uh, a lot. Um, I think, you know, what we have here is, is some, some great resources. Um, you know, not everybody, obviously, is, is wealthy in the community mm -hmm. <laughs> by any means, but we have some services and resources that, most of our neighbors don't don't appreciate but at the same time we're not so big and so sort of daunting a, a community that that you know ideas can't you know actually be put into action mm -hmm. and so yeah I, I like that aspect about living here uh, I'm a parent now too so it is a, it is a wonderful community mm -hmm. to raise kids you know it's safe it has a good number of resources and and you know all kinds of things to do with your your kids on the weekend or whatever yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, a, well, I don't know if it's the case anymore. It's a pretty transient community where people move in and out a lot. Um, and the years you've been, I mean, 
has the connection between the community and SCLO changed at all? Do you see it, um, you know, has it grown, or, even though you see new people coming in all the time and moving out? I mean, the connection between the two? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think the, the community's obviously changed over my long <laughs> tenure at SCLO. So naturally, you know, the relationships probably changed quite a bit too. Um, I remember those early years helping people find phone numbers and phone books and stuff, right? <laughs> We're not doing that so much anymore. Um, and yeah, what people want, um, you know, I think the average consumer in the world today, you know, has much higher levels of expectation in terms of expediency and convenience. Um, which, yeah, maybe that's not all good, <laughs> but it is who it is. And I'm one of them, you know, I, I love my next day delivery on whatever I want, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, that means that our, our patrons, our customers are, are interested in that from us. Mm. And you, you asked me earlier about uh, challenges. I think that is a real challenge. Um, we are never going to have the resources that Amazon does. Mm. So how do we meet those expectations or do, do our best in meeting those expectations with much more limited resources? Mm. It's an open question. Mm. You know, we're continuing to, to try to look at that and, and what's the, the best use of, of you know, our our community residents' um, resources um, to, to address their, their demands. Mm. Um, probably a lot of other people would say that about other services not library-related, too. Yeah. Um, I guess, what has been your favorite um, position or moment at SCLO in the time you've been here? Any things that stand out? I've got to tell you, you know, I, the t- computer stuff is interesting. Yeah. It keeps me intellectually curious and and growing, and I appreciate that um, a lot. I think that's what I like the most about IT is that I'm learning all the time. Mm. Um, there's there's no stagnation, and that that feeds a part of my personality. At the same time, um, my fondest memories were working in the children's department. Um, I did that for about three years. Um, I d- discovered just how wonderful. I mean, I knew as a kid, but how wonderful children's literature can be, and mm. and sort of. How, how profound it an impact it has, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, probably some of my fondest memories are are doing story times. <laughs> yeah. So um, I do kind of miss that. Maybe someday they'll let me back yeah. back in to do one or two. But uh, but you know we have a great staff down there now yeah. in children's. Yeah. So um, but yeah, you know. That that was where the rubber meets the road in the most profound way, yeah. I think. And, and you know, I I try to remember at least the good vibes I got from that as mm. I do my work too. Mm. Yeah. Did you have a favorite story uh, of story a book oh, a children's book that you? Yeah. <laughs> what I'll say is actually a relatively local author. I think he he either went to Junietta or he grew up in Huntington. Chris Rashka mm. um, has a series of picture books. Uh, I'm a big music guy. I love jazz. Um, and so he has a few jazz themed books that, that I've read to my boys and can probably recite from heart. Uh, Charlie Parker played bebop and mysterious Thelonious among them. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I love those uh, really colorful picture books that have a nice cadence or rhythm to them. They're fun to read, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a cool yeah. thing. So yeah. do you still, uh, you still listen to jazz? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was uh, president of the Penn State Jazz Club when oh, I was wow. an undergrad, and uh, yeah, yeah. I Did you mostly collect everything on vinyl. Yeah. I I do have an Apple Music subscription, 
but I prefer to listen to stuff yeah. on, on vinyl. Yeah. yeah. Did you play an instrument? Um, not well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, nowadays, actually, I do a little bit of that. I, yeah. I used to be in a band. This was before my kids were born, but uh, uh, playing uh, synthesizers, oh, wow. you know, like vintage <laughs> now, you know, 1970s yeah. stuff. But uh, no, my interest in jazz pretty much just grew out of enjoying listening to it. Yeah. I don't know exactly how I got on that kick. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's cool. been a fun thing. Thanks. Well, Nathaniel, thank you for uh, taking time to uh, let us yeah. get to know you better. <laughs> and, uh, and for all you do at school, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. enjoyed getting to know Nathaniel Rasmussen a little bit um, again he does a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for our website and the technology services that Sklo provides so we want to you know thank him again uh, for the amazing work he does and, and also in the community uh, especially with the white space project hopefully that will continue to progress and we'll keep you up to date on that and just some special hour notes. If you are listening to this on Friday, November 29th, uh, this is, when this episode does come out, uh, you might notice the library is closed today for the Thanksgiving holiday. We'll be reopening on Saturday, November 30th at 9 a.m. And then just another special hour note for the library. The library will be closing on Friday, December 13th at 1 p.m. for a staff event. So just note those hours. And our, uh, the latest edition of the regular Skull Library podcast came out this week. It features a conversation I have with the co-chairs of the Penn State Thespians as they are getting ready for their Frog and Toad production in our community room on December 7th and 8th. And then we'll have a new podcast episode coming out next Wednesday, uh, December 4th. And I want to thank Nathaniel Rasmussen again for joining us. And I uh, hope you enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better. Of course, everything is on our, all our events and services on our website, sklolibrary.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And until next time, we hope to see you at Sklo Library.